the Pillars of Health podcast with strength coach John Carroll, coming to you from the Movement Lab in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're about to dive into everything you need to know when it comes to strength and conditioning, nutrition, sleep, and stress management. Check us out on movementlabrally.com and coachjohncarroll.com. And now your host, John Carroll. All right, guys, I'm talking to Alexis Iger. Welcome to the podcast, Alexis. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So uh, you are a sports psychologist, correct? Yeah, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I specialize in sports psychology. Awesome. That's, that's an area I've always had a deep interest in ever since uh, I had Dr. Jody Yambor, who used to work with the U.S. Uh, Olympic swimming team. She used to uh, sorry, teach some of our classes in college just on sports psychology, and i uh, it was really fascinating stuff, yeah. So, looking forward to picking your brain today. So, awesome. Yeah. Me too. So, before I have you like fill everybody in on your background and how you came to be kind of specializing in sports psychology, let's just delve into the icebreaker question, just a random question to get us rolling. So, what is the best book you recently read and why? So, I recently read Faster, Higher, Stronger by Mark McCluskey. It actually came out in 2014, but I hadn't read it until like just last weekend, actually. Um, And it's great. So it really talks about how sports science is improving athletic performance, Hmm. and it addresses multiple forms of science. So it approaches it from talking about genetic advantages, the role of nutrition, learning theory, technological advances, and how technology is helping improve athletic performance, mindset. It's a really interesting scientifically backed book. And the, my, my best takeaway from it was this idea that tweaking one small thing is really what takes an athlete to greatness, is it doesn't have to be this huge shift, mm-hmm. just this one small tweak can give that competitive edge. And that's really what I talk about with a lot of my clients, and mm-hmm. so I found that super interesting. Mm, interesting, yeah. And I, I definitely feel like that's relative to any sort of athlete at a very competitive level because they're already, you know, physically there. And then mentally, if you can change like 1% or 2% of what's going on there, it probably have a nice difference for them in their sport, right? Definitely. And really this applies to life. You know, there's always this theory of if you can just move one step closer, just 1% closer to that end goal, that's a huge shift and it all adds up. For sure. For sure. Cool. Awesome. I'll have to check that book out. Actually, that's right down my alley. Um, can you go ahead and kind of fill everyone in, just like on your background, how you kind of went down the road of becoming a licensed professional counselor and, and then into sports psychology itself? Yeah, definitely. So I played softball through high school, and I was on a club team in the summer where we traveled. I never played past high school. It, was, it wasn't a discussion in my family, really, about that being a possibility. I'm not sure why, other than as a teenager, I was very distracted by friends and boys as many teenagers are. Right, of course, yeah. (laughs) So maybe that's why it was never discussed. I don't know. But I took, you know, kind of that traditional route of going from high school into university. I started off as a business major, but like I said, I had been distracted by boys as a teenager. So I was married and had both of my kids before I was done with my undergrad degree. Okay. Um, I started studying business, but it was boring to me. And I was a mom and I wasn't necessarily thinking career-wise. So I was like, I just want to find something that I'm interested in to study. 
And I took some psychology classes, found that fascinating, and so switched to just studying psychology because I was interested in it. I wasn't really thinking career-wise at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I then was a stay-at-home mom with my kids until they were in school full-time. And then um, I decided, okay, it's time to join the workforce. And I don't know if anybody is familiar with a bachelor's degree in psychology, but the options are not super high paying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's social services work. So yep. You're making just a little bit over minimum wage, but it's really stressful. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm interested in psychology, but I want something that's going to give me more of a living. So why don't I just go back to school to get my master's degree? So that's what I did. I went back to school and got my master's in mental health counseling. My daughter, who is my youngest, was playing softball. I was coaching her at the rec level. Mm -hmm. And then she moved up to play more competitively at that point. Um, She was like 10. And she moved up to play more competitively for softball. So I stopped coaching and kind of took that parent role. And so what I found is I had the education in psychology and counseling. And then as a sports parent, as someone who played sports through high school, and then as you know, I watched my daughter in these really competitive environments, I watched her, I watched the coaches, I watched the parents. And I realized that there's so much psychology involved that would be super, super helpful for these athletes and the parents and coaches and trainers. So I went and I got a certificate in sports psychology coaching to kind of add to my repertoire. Mm -hmm. And here I am, sports psychology counseling. Well, first off, congrats on going back to school with two children because I, I feel like I barely made it out of college and I just had myself to look after. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, it so, was a lot. It's a lot to balance. That is a lot. Yeah. And I, like I said, I can't even wrap my head around that because it's like, a, you know, trying to take care of myself. Yeah, that was, that was enough for me. So, yeah, definitely huge congrats on that. That's a, that's a fantastic achievement. Thank you. And on top of that then as well, like, obviously seeing how your daughter was, you know, playing sports and you kind of delved into the the psychology side of things. I think that's really cool. And uh, what's funny is I started off initially, you know, majoring air quotes around majoring um, (laughs) in in business like yourself, but I was so bored of it. I was like, forget this, you know? (laughs) Right. That was me too. I think everybody goes to college and they're like, I'm just going to be a business major. Like there's jobs in business. Right. It's so boring. (laughs) It's like, what is business? Like, can we classify that? You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So, well, so go to things you mentioned there that we're kind of going to delve into later on the podcast, especially like when it comes to uh, youth athletes and like the parents of youth athletes, because, you know, obviously your daughter's playing softball. I grew up playing soccer and went to school on a soccer scholarship and definitely feel in the U.S. a lot of parents maybe overreach when it comes to their kids playing sports and stuff like that. So. Definitely Um, definitely a hot topic we're going to get to. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Let's kind of talk first, though, about self-talk when it comes to athletes and kind of creating positive practices. How do you approach that area? Sure. So I think the first thing to recognize is that we all engage in self-talk, and so often we don't even realize that we're doing it. So self-talk really is that kind of constant stream of consciousness that we have in our head, right? We're We're giving ourselves messages all the time constantly throughout the day. It's a huge role in self-esteem, just generally. And in athletes, it often relates to performance and their assessment of how they performed or how capable they are. Um, And so the first step in trying to create positive practices for self-talk is really to start to identify what the self-talk is. Um, So a good way to do that is to journal. 
I know it sounds a little silly sometimes when I tell people, hey, let's just journal for a week. They're like, uh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to write down everything. I just want you to tell me what to do. Right. But the first step really is to identify what kind of self-talk you're engaging in on a consistent basis. Most of us have pretty common themes. There's ways that we talk about ourselves in various circumstances that usually follow different categories of self-talk and different themes. And so if we can identify what those are, then we can start to intervene. But first we have to know how we talk to ourselves. Mm. Once we know that, so by journaling, you can journal after practices or after games or anytime you feel a spike in emotion, it's a good time to sit down and journal and just get out everything that's in your head. Don't censor, just write it down. Let's see how you're talking to yourself. Once you have that identified, then you can ask yourself a couple questions. The first question is, are these thoughts that I'm having true? And the second question is, are these thoughts that I'm having helpful to my goals? Mm -hmm. If the answer to either of those questions is no, then that's your key that you need to restructure that thinking and replace that thought with something that is true or is more helpful to your goals. So you can come up with mantras. Um, and just practice telling yourself those things over and over again. And that's one really good way. So first, like I said, identify what your self-talk is, mm -hmm. ask yourself if those thoughts are true or helpful, and then practice replacing them. Okay, okay. that's really interesting because I know obviously playing at a decent level back home in Ireland and then obviously in, in college here in the U.S., I had teammates and even myself, you know, for example, if you had a goal scoring opportunity and you pass it up or you missed it, you know, whatever it was, there's that initial reaction of kind of beating yourself up about it and it kind of hangs around, right? Yes, exactly. If and you let it hang around, it will and it will affect your next opportunity. Exactly, too. exactly. And then the, the different types of player I came across were one, ones who were immediately able to kind of dispel it from their mind and then those who kind of let it play on their mind the rest of the game. Exactly, exactly. So kind of incorporating what you're saying there regards, okay, is this helpful? No, okay, let's let's move on, let's find something else. That's a, that's a really good approach, yeah, yeah, cool. Now when you have people journal like that, have you, have you come across someone perhaps who has just a tendency to kind of go down a negative path and they've only just noticed that when you've asked them to journal? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of athletes that I've worked with, like, they have an idea that something's not quite working, but they're not really able to identify it. And the reason is these thoughts that we have in our brain, they happen so fast. Mm -hmm. We don't even recognize that they happen. We often only catch the emotion. And so that's why sitting down to journal can just help you realize that there's a thought process behind these emotions. These emotions aren't just coming from nowhere. Yeah. Right? They're coming from your thoughts. It's your perception of events that are creating that emotion. So if we can shift your perception of events, we can shift your thinking, it's going to be helpful. And a lot of times athletes are like, no, 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 like, I'm just realistic. Like, I'm realistic. Right. It's not <laughs> negative, it's yeah. realistic. But then we sit down and I'm like, okay, listen, like some of this is realistic. You missed the shot right? Like that's realistic. But then the follow-up thought that's like, oh my gosh, I missed that shot. I suck. That I suck part's not necessarily realistic. Yeah. You're not going to make every shot. Exactly. And then I think it's initially because we, we hold ourselves to that high standard and you're like, I've got to do the best I can at every single opportunity. When we kind of give ourselves a break, like, okay, you know, that wasn't to be, let's move on. Let's concentrate on the next one. 
It's just more healthy approach as opposed to beating yourself up continually over what's happened already. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now I want to I want to tell you about someone I used to play soccer with. So, <laughs> <laughs> he he used to have this practice, and needless to say, he because we were teenagers at the time, a lot of other uh, players on our team kind of made fun of him at the time. That probably wasn't helpful to him, but he had <laughs> he had this practice of so referring to himself in the third person. So we would be at practice and. You know, for example, we'll call him John. So it's like John takes a shot. It's like, oh, John, you can do better. You can, you can, you can <laughs> score out the next one. So he would continually talk to him. And for him, I really feel like it helped him. You know, yeah, but but for but for us as kids, this was like, what are you doing? You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it can help, right? It's really that idea of kind of taking this helicopter view or this eagle eye view instead of personalizing things, being able to just kind of observe it from a different perspective. Sometimes that can be super helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely think he was ahead of the curve, and he's probably laughing at us now at this point in time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, is he playing professionally? Maybe he is then. <laughs> he is, yeah. If he is, well, you know, tip of the cap to him and, and fair do. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, nice. So let's kind of switch over to what we mentioned in the beginning, the uh, parents of youth athletes and kind of everything that goes with that. And, um, okay. yeah, let me, let me get your thoughts first off on where you kind of stand in relation to the parents of youth athletes and kind of what's going on in sports in general right now. Yeah, well, I think there's so many things going on when it comes to parents. And, and I don't know if it's new or if it's just there's a lot more attention on it. I'm not sure. But there's definitely, you know, I think a lot of parents don't really talk to their children about their goal for the sport. A lot of times the parents are the ones really pushing it, right? And right. so the parents are almost kind of living vicariously through their children. Or, you know, they're just, they're not talking to their kid about what their kid wants from from whatever they're engaging in. And they just assume their kid wants to be amazing, their kid wants to be great. And again, the parents are actually like personalizing their children's performance, right? That's right. why we see emotions so high and we see fights on the sidelines of little league games, which doesn't make any sense to no, me. It doesn't. <laughs> really taking it personally and seeing like their children's performance as somehow like a reflection of themselves and a threat to their own ego yes. if it doesn't go well which which is just it's it's problematic on so many fronts because number one it sets a really bad example for our kids right I mean we as parents we are our children's role model yes and if that's the type of role model we are then we're setting our kids up for failure later in life so that's a problem and then you know when you don't talk to your child about their own personal goals then you're not really knowing where to focus for your child and for the benefit of your child. There's some kids who, you know, they want to go play sports and they just want to go play sports because they want to hang out with their friends and have fun, mm -hmm. you know? So great. So support that. Like, did you have fun? You were hanging out with your friends. Is this still fun for you? Talk about that. You don't need to talk about, well, are you getting like a million times better if that's really not what they're focused on, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Now, your kid, does, it does say like, hey, like, I want to get better. I want to be the best player for my high school team, and I want to play in college. I want to get a scholarship. Well, then, okay, that's their why. That's yeah. their dream, and you can support them in that but not push them, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a little sense. That makes a little sense. I, I think it's something we see a lot of more and more just because exactly what you said, that the parents are almost attaching their ego in place of the kids, and they're living vicariously through, what you know, the kids playing sport and maybe some of their – lost passion or lost dreams during their athletic career is being lived out through their kid and it's just not fair on the kid you know 
Exactly. That's a lot of pressure to put that's, on. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I will ask you though. Have you seen? I think there was like a mini docu series called Trophy Kids. Have you seen that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm sure you were cringing all the way through. So. I was. <laughs> um, there was there was one particular kid and. I think he was a football player and, you know, he's a quarterback. So he goes to practice and I think his dad was training him. And then they get in the car and go home and his dad just grills him on what he'd done wrong. And yeah. it was just awful, you know, and he just really yeah. felt for the kid. And in that, in that circumstance, like you've got to, you're looking at that as an outsider. You're like, okay, obviously this is really wrong. But as the dad as well, you got to take a second. Out, Am I actually helping my son here? You know? Right, exactly. And one of the things, you know, that I will talk to parents about is, when you get in the car after a game or after practice, like don't initiate that conversation about your kid's performance. If they want to talk about how the game and stuff went, then they'll talk about it, right? But give them some time, like ask about anything else. You don't need to be focused on, hey, you know, that was a terrible play or anything else. Just let them sit, let them process everything that happened. And if they want to talk to you about it, they'll talk to you about it. Yeah. Now you can, you know, you after a while passes, you can definitely talk to them about how much you enjoyed watching them, about, you know, some positive things, maybe how you notice that they've improved. But don't don't immediately go after all of the things that went wrong or start grilling them about how do you think you did? What do you think you need to work on? Yeah. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't need to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I definitely understand when it comes to like relationship between parents and, and youth athletes is that kind of giving them that initial space, just like you said, again, because like that's a really good practice because to a certain extent, they just need to decompress after a sporting event, right? And, totally. And kind of process themselves. Okay, what actually went on out there? Because for them, like things are happening pretty fast, you know, even though you may be looking at a sport you played as a kid and, you know, it's, say it's U12 or whatever it is, and you're like, oh, you know, this is pretty slow or whatever. But for that kid, like, things are happening at full speed, and, and they need to process that and have time instead of kind of having the parent jump on the first thing and, like, grill them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if it comes to things that they've been working on that didn't, like, go well in the game or at practice or whatever, they know. Like, they already know that happened. They don't need you to tell them. <laughs> right, right. They're aware. Yes, yes. One thing I'm, I'm thankful for is I remember very early on in my, my athletic career, my parents came to one game and my mother kind of got overly involved. And I was like, okay, so you're not coming to any more games. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so after that, it was just so much more of a freeing experience, you know, because you weren't aware of that presence there on the sideline. And it just, it just kind of freed me up, you know, and I definitely felt like that kind of played a, a big role in me kind of being able to develop at my own pace. Yeah, definitely. And then you know that you're playing for you, right. right? There's no question. Are you playing for the person in the stands or are you playing for yourself? She's not there. So you're obviously playing for you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I do like, obviously I'm a strength conditioning coach. I do a little bit of like soccer refereeing as well now on the side as well as still playing a little bit here and there. And when I'm refereeing, you just see so many instances of parents coaching their kids, but not only coaching, and I'm sure you've seen this too, but coaching over the actual coach of the team. <laughs> yes. Have you seen this? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. And, you know, even, even like the smallest comments, but they make them and they say them and they're talking to their kid out there. And number one, the kid 
probably doesn't even hear you, yeah. right? Number two, if they do, what you're saying isn't helpful. <laughs> like, yes. Let the coach coach. I know at my daughter's softball games so often you'll hear they'll have like two strikes, right? And you'll hear a parent go, watch the change up. <laughs> okay, so now when the girl doesn't throw a change up, you just screwed your kid all up. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Like, just let the coaches do their job. Let the kids do their job, especially, I mean, all the time, but especially in games. Like, that's not the time to be really coaching anyway. No. Like, you coach at practice. Exactly. And then you let them play at games. And the coaches still are guiding, obviously. Right, but, right. And that's the thing. It's like, let the, let the coach coach because what you've done, is, if you go in, you're, like, telling, you know, again, just, like, hypothetical situation here but if there's a father and he's telling the son you listen to me when i'm on the sideline like you listen to me not your coach like that's just not a good situation for for that kid in that instant or in life moving forward you know exactly let's undermine the authority of the coach right. <laughs> it's like, you're setting him up for failure you know so yes oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we've I've got my little spiel on you athletes and parents. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, if you could kind of wrap it up on like just that kind of mini topic, what would your your advice for parents of youth athletes be, say, as their kid is about to get into youth sports for the first time? Yeah, I would say number one, like focus on your kid having fun, okay. right? Especially when they're first starting out in sports and youth at and youth athletics, like focus on them having fun. Why are they signing up? What do they want to achieve, right? And then focus on the fun. Because so many times I see parents, they're pushing their kids into something or, you know, they're just going after them and after them and after them. And pretty soon the kid's like, you know what? I don't want to play. Right. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then what's the point, right? Like, it's sports. And yes, there's so many kids who are going to be driven to try to, you know, play at a higher level. And that's fantastic if that's what they want. And they'll do that. But they still need to be having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally so focus agree. on fun. Awesome. That's a, that's a great piece of advice. I love that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to kind of move on to the adrenaline response now. And, and obviously... For athletes, this is a huge part of who they are and influences how they play and how they perform and stuff like that. Can you kind of just, yeah, just kind of give us a little introduction on performance and the adrenaline response and, like, uh, what some common things you've come across in this area maybe? Sure. So, you know, there's um, – it's pretty clear that there's a certain amount of arousal that is – that helps someone perform optimally, right? And it's kind of like a bell curve if anybody's familiar with the bell curve. Basically, if you don't have enough arousal, you're not going to perform well. If you have too much arousal, you're not going to perform well. So there's kind of like this perfect optimal zone that you really want to get into. And the adrenaline response is what's kicking in. That is that arousal. So, you know, it's important that they're, that an athlete is hyped up enough to perform well, but not overstimulated so that they're then choking. I think we've all seen... You know, even in like the big leagues, even professional ball, that something happens, you're just like, why did that person just strike out? Or how did they miss that shot? That was a routine play. It's like, well, yeah, that was their stress response. Right. It's funny you mentioned the, the overly hyped approach, too, because I, mm. I, I've seen, like, obviously in college, I've seen players on my own team and on other teams who almost come out like madmen. You know what I mean? And yes. it just totally affects how they're playing but they feel like they need it in order to get ready for the game. Have you come across that at all? Yeah, for 
for sure. And to some, on some level, you do need some of it, right? Like if you recognize that you're not really hyped up at all, and this happens a lot in practices actually, or, or routine plays, things that are really routine that seem kind of boring mm-hmm. to the athlete. Like what happens is you're not a rat, you're not, you don't have enough stimulation. And so you're kind of bored and you get lazy, right? right? And so to some extent, you do have to be able to hype yourself up. Now you don't want to go too far, but you do have to hype yourself up. And a good way to do that is, you know, listening to music that kind of gets you going, um, listening to some like motivational speeches that are really helpful for you. There's a lot of really good ones on YouTube, actually, that can get you hyped up. You can actually practice breathing intensely, and that actually helps kind of stimulate you too. It sounds kind of silly because we always talk about breathing like calmly to calm yourself down, sure. but the opposite actually works too. And then like getting your body moving. So I know I've seen, and you've probably seen too, you know, the athletes that do, they start like they're jumping, yeah. they're jumping, they're like hitting their thighs, <laughs> they're, they're going at it, right? They yeah. are getting themselves hyped up. And that's good if it's getting them to that optimal zone. Right, right. I'll tell you a, a pretty fascinating little sub-story here. I used to play with a, a guy. He wanted someone to scream in his face before every game. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, like, come on, get my emotions exactly, going. Exactly, exactly. He's like, just insult me and get me angry. And uh, needless to say, he didn't have many people volunteer for that. But someone eventually did. So. <laughs> right, exactly. They're like, mm, do I want to get you really angry and I'm the one standing in front of exactly, you? Exactly, exactly. I do. Yeah, I don't want to volunteer for that at all. <laughs> That's funny. Um, now, when it comes to like personalities and you know introvert, extrovert stuff like that, have you have you noticed that maybe is there a connection at all in the people that you've come across to where it's like, for example, if you're more introverted, they tend to be less stimulated for an event, or is that just not a correlation at all? You know, I think it is a little bit, um, I and I don't have any, like, scientific research to back it up, but right. from what I've seen is I do think introverts need a little bit more to kind of get them going, and they also, it almost seems like they get overstimulated kind of quickly, too, so their optimal zone is a little bit different, I think, than someone who's an extrovert. Their optimal zone maybe is a little wider, okay. at least that seems to be from the athletes that I've worked with. Like, the extrovert can get themselves up a little bit quicker and also kind of have a little bit more stimulation and still maintain kind of being in the zone. What I noticed also is the introvert's way of hyping themselves up tends to be different than the extrovert's way. The extrovert's probably your friend who wants someone to yell at him. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was probably an extrovert. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the introvert's the one who, you know, they have like their their earphones in and they are listening to music to get them hyped up. It's a little bit more of an internal process rather than like I'm going to jump up and down and yell and scream so it's a little bit of a different process right yeah you you definitely like looking around a locker room I feel you can pretty much spot those extroverts and introverts based on what they're doing pre-game you know definitely definitely yeah yeah awesome now when it comes to the topic of motivation this this is a this is a a deep one I feel but I, I kind of tend to see it dismissed by a lot of people in the media like oh this athlete's not motivated but like what exactly does it mean to be motivated right yeah that's it's such a tough question because you know motivation you know is really this it's this 
zone between it's your why kind of right and and the and the thing that pushes you towards reaching your why now here's the deal like motivation is really emotionally based and so like emotions it can come and go and you might be super motivated one day and not super motivated the next day that's a thing right Right. our motivation wanes we see it with people just setting you know new year's resolutions even they're super motivated for a week and then they're not right (laughs) so It comes and goes. And so there is this thing that there's something to be said about persistence and just continuing to do the thing even when the motivation's not there. But you can definitely renew your motivation. You have to have a strong why, and then you can get in touch with that why and renew the motivation. Now, here's the other part about motivation that I think is really important. There's different types of motivation. What motivates you is different than what motivates somebody else. And it kind of matters, but and by kind of, I mean, it, it matters a lot. And usually you're motivated by, you know, several forms, not just one form of motivation. But I see, especially in youth athletes, there's a lot of youth athletes who are actually motivated by fear. And that's not helpful. Like okay. that's problematic. And what I mean by that is like the youth athlete who's trying to avoid something. They're trying to avoid their parents being disappointed. They're trying to avoid their coach being angry. They're trying to avoid damage to their self-esteem. And so they're doing these things in order to try to avoid that. That is problematic. And that's not going to be helpful because that really indicates that their self-esteem is dependent on their, the outcome of their performance. And anytime we tie it to the outcome, that's a problem because the athlete can't control the outcome. Sometimes they can do the best that they possibly can and their opponent's simply going to beat them. They can only really control their effort and their preparation. So if they're tying it to their performance and they're afraid of not performing well because of these other factors, that's problematic. That's really interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. The other thing, extrinsic motivation, right? So this is like motivation that's outside yourself. This would be athletes who are motivated by praise, by, you know, publicity in the local paper, by trophies. Um, And to some degree, all athletes have a little bit of extrinsic motivation. You can't possibly tell me that (laughs) someone going, someone in the NFL isn't motivated a little bit by trying, you know, to win the Super Bowl. Right, right. There's a little bit of that there. Yeah. For sure, for sure. But the type of motivation that's actually the most lasting is intrinsic motivation. So that's that internal motivation. These are athletes who are motivated by improving their own their own skills, right? Mm-hmm. By having fun, by reaching whatever a personal goal is that they've set, by learning a new skill. So that internal motivation is actually the longest lasting and the one you really want to be able to tap into in order to maintain long-term motivation to do the things that you need to do to be great in ath- in athletics. Because let's face it, it's not, I mean, the game is fun, but the training when you're like at a high level, sometimes it freaking hurts. Yeah, yeah. And it can be a pretty hectic schedule, right? Yes, exactly. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of demands. It can be physically painful, exhausting physically and emotionally. And so you have to have a strong enough internal motivation to keep you going despite all of those things. Right, sure. Right, sure. And now kind of just going back to what you mentioned about like the kids who may be playing with that fear. When you say that, do you mean like they're kind of like playing uh, almost like they're stepping on broken glass because they don't want to let anyone down? Is that kind of what you're alluding to there? Yes, totally. Absolutely. And for someone like that, 
are, are they kind of connecting, okay, my self-worth is based on the outcome of this game? Because if I don't win with my team, then I'm not any good. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's quite common. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's very common. And I mean, again, it's really problematic. And I think a lot of times we, at least as I, I, I don't know, a society, as a society, we kind of look at these athletes, especially the professional athletes or even the really successful college athletes, and we think, we assume that their self-esteem must be so high, right? right? And we think, oh, you're like, even, I guess even at the younger ages, we're like, oh, well, you're like the quarterback, right? Like your self-esteem must be high. Yeah not necessarily the case we at looking at them from an outside perspective we have no idea what's driving their performance yeah yeah and i think that's really important for us to recognize is just because they hold some position just because they're playing some sport doesn't mean that everything's okay sometimes they might need you know to talk to someone or to have parents that they can talk to something because life's not all peachy just because they happen to be a good player right right I definitely feel like what you said in relation to, you know, if the player tries their best and they have worked hard all week in practice or, you know, many maybe perhaps many years before this actual game and they end up losing to their opponent who is just better than them, they need to hear what you said in relation to, listen, you've done your best. That doesn't have a you know impact on the type of person you are, number one, or whether you're you're any good or not. It's just that is the way it went against that team. They were just better on the day. Right. Instead of, like, attaching, okay, your self-worth to it and also how good of a player are you. Uh, because I feel like the default one for a lot of kids, especially in, like, the, the high school era, is like, oh, you lost to such and such a team? You suck. Like, And that, that, yes. that's just an easy answer, but that is not fair at all, you know? Exactly. And a lot of it has to do with the power of language, right? Oh, yeah. If we sit there and we say, like, oh, you lost to them, like, they beat you, they're better than you, right? We're basically saying, just with that language, that they as people are better than you as a person, when it's like, no, actually, like, that team performed better than you today. Right. Right? right? That's all that it means. That's exactly. it. Exactly. And on tomorrow, you could perform better than them. Sometimes you simply get beat, and it's not a big deal. <laughs> right. That's it. That's it. It's like, listen, a lot of different things can happen on any given day. So Exactly. And especially in sports, right? Like, failure is inevitable. You're yes. not going to win every single game. Right. You're not going to make every single shot. You're not going to hit every single pitch. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's just not going to happen. You have to learn how to deal with failure and not personalize that, not take it as a hit to who you are as a person. It's simply a learning opportunity. Did you do your best? Fantastic. Is there something you can work on and improve? Okay, great. Yeah. That's all it means. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Um, Definitely something, again, I I feel like this would be a great podcast for parents to listen to because just hearing that, especially for the kid as well, you know, like, okay, listen, if I'm working hard and I'm doing what I, I can do, there's no, nothing else I can do. You know, that's everything else is outside of my power. I'm being the best I can be. Uh, I'm developing myself long term because I want to be good in this sport. But, you know, there's going to be ups and downs along the way. And I think what's more important for that, that parent to understand for the kid is that, okay, does my kid know how to handle those ups and downs? Exactly. That is so important. And so having that discussion is is really important for your children, right? So if you're a parent with a youth athlete, 
just talk to them about how, you know, it's okay to not be perfect and to really focus on the controllables. And that's what we're talking about here is there's so much in life just in general. And, you know, when we talk about sports, so many of these concepts apply to life as well, because that's sports is really, it's a smaller scale and it's easier to look at, but it's life lessons that your kids are getting to. So, I mean, here's the deal. We can't control everything in life. There's things outside of our control. If we learn to focus on the things that are actually within our control, which is basically just ourselves, our thoughts, our actions, you know, our preparation, our effort. If we learn to focus on that, then we let go of a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of stress. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I, I want to ask you about two different quotes that you see a lot of when it comes to sport and like character, okay? Okay. So the first one is sport reveals character. And then the second one is playing a sport develops character. Which Now, which one are you more likely to attach to there? I would say the second one, so that playing sports develops character. Okay. Because if you're taking the lessons that you can learn from sports and you're viewing them as lessons and learning opportunities, then you are going to develop character that's going to take you into life. That is what I, I agree with. <laughs> <laughs> on the same way we are we are i definitely because because i feel like when you when someone says uh sport reveals character it's like well i i don't know if that's necessarily true you know mm-hmm. whereas when you're playing a sport obviously as as a youth athlete if you're like 10 and under it's very hard to be aware of like developing character but then obviously as you get older you kind of appreciate that a little bit more because like we just mentioned those ups and downs you know, they tr- they kind of teach you how to react and not overreact to, to losing a game, for example. Yeah, exactly. And even as that young athlete, you know, they're not necessarily aware that it's developing character. But if they have good coaches and if their parents are supportive, then they're developing it without them even recognizing it, right? I yeah. often think of you can kind of see a dip. You start to see a difference as kids get to teenagers. There's kind of those kids who are, I guess, what people call coachable, even though I'm not really sure I I like that term. But, (laughs) you know, you see those kids, and I think that's really a reflection of the foundation that was laid when they were younger. The coaches that they worked with and the parents that they had and, and kind of the lessons that those parents and coaches helped guide them with versus the kids who maybe didn't have that guidance. So even though they're not recognizing it, they're developing that character even when they're super young. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and the role of like a coach in a youth athlete's career, like if they have a coach who, you know, number one, definitely cares about their well-being as an individual and not just as an athlete, that can be like life-changing, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, I always go back to uh, a coach I had, and this was like towards the end of high school, kind of in between high school and college. And basically he was like, listen, and this was to the entire group. Like these, these are some life lessons that we are learning via soccer. Like, and I would do you a disservice if I wasn't setting you up to be number one, uh, as best uh, or as good a soccer player as you can. But number two, also just a good human being. You know. And so that was the first time I really had that light bulb moment of like, okay, he's actually developing us as people, not just athletes as well. Yes, I love that. What a good coach. Yes. So needless to say, he's been very successful. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Okay, well, listen, Alexis, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our chat. Yes, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out on a Monday morning, especially with 
you got, I'm sure you have a ton to do this week. Kind of fill everyone in on where they can locate you, website, social media, anything like that. Yeah. Definitely. So my website is www.positiveapproachesllc.com. So you can go on there. I have some articles. I also have a form that you can sign up and get some information, including a weekly newsletter on sports psychology topics, and then also just some um, offerings that I'll be offering online for people, anybody who's interested in some online kind of sports psychology information and coaching. And I'm also on social media too, of course. So you can find me on Facebook at Positive Approaches LLC. Oregon and on Instagram at positive underscore approaches underscore LLC. Awesome. And I would say to people looking at your website, check out the blog. There's some really good articles on there as well on some of the topics we covered today. Thank you. Yes, yes. Okay, guys. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Pillars of Health, and we will catch you on the next one.